Hey guys, it's Lana and welcome back for another episode of Seeing Other People. How are you guys? I know you can't answer that, but I feel like sometimes we kind of go through the motions of everyday life and nobody actually stops to think about like how they're really feeling. And you know, like it's so interesting. We say like, how are you to everyone? Like every single time we jump on a call, anytime we pass somebody we know in the street, wherever we are. And we're always just like, oh, good. Like fine, eh, tired you. But like, we're never actually thinking about how we are. And And I think especially when it comes to dating, it's really important to stop and check in with yourself and make sure you're feeling okay. Make sure you're feeling like you believe that it's all worth it. I know it can be so exhausting. I know it can be draining. I know it can make you sometimes feel like you're not good enough or like it's happening for everyone except for you. Um, And so I really want you to check in with those, with those feelings and, and know if you're in a good place, if you're feeling good to go on a date next week, if or if you're not, like, take that break, take that step, take that as a sign of like, you know what, I really need to take care of myself this week instead, I'm not going to go on the apps and try and get a date. And so I just want to kind of remind people to be cognizant of that. And also on the flip side, like if you're in a great place, if you are feeling like you're crushing it, if you are feeling like you are so excited about meeting somebody and can't wait to go on dates, like channel that and pay attention to that and use that like really positive energy to not only just use dating apps, but maybe ask friends or ask coworkers if they have anyone to set you up with. Like if you're feeling really good about something or really good about yourself, use that to your advantage. Um, and I didn't plan on saying any of this. I just said, how are you? And then realized you guys couldn't say anything back. Um, Anywho, I am so excited for today's episode, speaking about feelings and and checking in with yourself. Um, Today, I'm bringing on Elizabeth Earnshaw, otherwise known as Liz Listens. Liz is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's a certified Gottman therapist, and she owns a Better Life therapy practice in Philadelphia. And she also owns her own couples therapy practice where she's really working towards destigmatizing couples therapy. And I have been such a big fan of Liz for a while now. I found her on Instagram. I don't remember when, but sometime in the beginning of 2021. And I have just learned so much, even just from looking at her content on Instagram. She is so smart. And I think the work that she's doing is incredible. And I think we have so much that we can learn from her when it comes to relationships. I obviously know a lot of you listening are single. And I also know that in being single and in thinking about who you are and what you want and listening to this podcast, you you want to get into a healthy relationship. Like you want to get into a relationship and have the tools to make it last and know that it's the right relationship for you. And if it's not, that's not a relationship you want to be in. And so I think that there's, there's so many questions I have for Liz that are going to help us figure out how to determine if we're in healthy relationships or how to set ourselves up for success when we do get into a relationship. And most importantly, why couples therapy is a resource in building a strong relationship and making sure that you're aligned when it comes to big life changes. Um, And it doesn't have to be this thing that you wait for the walls to be crumbling around you for you to go. I I really believe that couples therapy can be preventative. It can help you develop better communication with your partner. It can help you figure out what ticks each of you off. Like it's really having somebody there to help you 
with a conversation and for somebody to listen to patterns and, and figure out kind of things that you might not be able to see. And so I'm so thrilled to have Liz here and I am going to stop talking so we can have Liz start talking because she knows way more about this than I do. All right, let's do it. If you're anything like me, you probably feel really overwhelmed when it comes to choosing the right skincare products. You know, we go on social media and we see ads for so many different products and we see all of our favorite influencers talking about different products they like. And we can walk into a pharmacy and stare at a wall of cleansers and moisturizers. But how do we know what's right for us? And how do we know that something that worked for our favorite influencer or actress is going to work for us? We don't. And that's why I've always struggled with this until I heard about Curology. Curology is a game-changing custom skincare made for you by a dermatology provider. So it's actually literally made for you. Curology creates a custom prescription cream based on your specific goals, whether it's tackling acne, clogged pores, skin texture, dark spots, fine lines, or something else. You start by taking a short online skin quiz and uploading photos. And if it's a good fit, they'll create your formula and ship it right to your door. It's been over a month since I started with Curology and I'm so impressed with the results. My skin is literally glowing and it is making me feel so confident in my everyday life. And I also just feel better knowing that I'm doing something that's created for me and that works for me. So get started with Curology just like I did with a free 30-day trial at Curology.com slash seeing other people. Just pay $5 for shipping and handling. That's C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y.com slash seeing other people to start your 30-day free trial. Cancel anytime, prescription subject to consultation. All right, and we are here with Elizabeth Earnshaw, aka Liz Listens. Liz, welcome to Seeing Other People. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for being here. So Liz, you are a couples therapist. You are also many things, um, but I would love to hear how you ended up being a couples therapist because I feel like that's not a story that we hear often. And that's something that I'm incredibly interested in as I talk about and, and kind of study romantic relationships and human connection. And so I'm definitely curious how you ended up here. Yeah. So my whole life, I've been interested in human connection, you know, Barbie dolls, wanted to be a teacher when I grew up, all of those types of very human connection activities, but certainly never even thought about being a couples therapist. I don't think that's something that people really think about. Maybe they do a little bit more now. Um, so I went to school to be a teacher and I was a terrible teacher because I focused way too much on like one-on-one -on -one connection and interaction, could not do classroom management for the life of me. I don't know um, how anyone does. Props to every teacher out there. <laughs> I do not know how they do it. It's very overstimulating. And I recognize all of their hard work so much because it is really challenging. So I kind of switched from that. I went into a completely different realm, which was organizational development. So how organizations run and the psychology between behind businesses and all of that. And I thought, nobody's going to hire me for this. I've never run a business. Like, what am I doing? So I graduated with that degree and I was literally lost in my life. I was like, maybe I'll be a lawyer. Maybe I'll go back to college for another bachelor's degree. Like, what am I going to do? And there was a billboard on the highway that said, you know, join this couples therapy program. No, are you kidding me? <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> Wait, that is insane. Yes, oh that, is, that is my magic moment. And I was like, oh, maybe that's what I should do. 
So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you're interested in it in like the actual thing that it is, but you never stop to think about like, okay, what does this mean? And what type of career can I create around this? And yeah. it was on a billboard. Yeah, it was on a billboard. And I was like, oh, actually that might be it. So I drove home and I applied that day and I didn't apply to any other programs because this was not a life dream. I didn't have a list of couples therapy programs in my bedroom. And I applied to it. I got in um, and it was just something that I was to toot my own horn, like very good at. And I immediately knew that's where I was supposed to be. And it's been love ever since. And I've been a couples therapist now for over a decade. Wow. What was that like, course like? like? What do you learn in couples therapy? Yeah, it's... <laughs> or in kind of couples therapy, in a couples therapy class, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So my program was a two-year master's program. And so you're learning everything that you would have to learn in a normal counseling program. So how to diagnose, how to recognize psychiatric sy symptoms, all of those types of things. Um, and then you have to pick a track. You have to decide, do I want to do the couples therapy track? Do I want to do a sex therapy track? Or do I want to do families? And I actually did families because I still thought I wanted to work with kids. I don't know why I wouldn't let that go, that I was not good at it. <laughs> um, but you learn, you learn how human dynamics work. You learn about systems and how the systems that surround us cause a lot of our symptoms. And if we ignore those things, then we're really going to struggle with managing our system, um, our symptoms. And so you learn both the normal, quote, normal counseling types of things, but then you also learn how people interact with each other. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And how, when you were learning about this, how was it actually, or was it actually impacting like your personal relationships and how you showed up in, in your family and your friendships in your actual relationship? It has a huge impact. And I always talk about how unfair it is really that I got that privilege of going through that because now I can't unsee all of it and it has changed the way I interact. And if everybody had to go through two years of relationship school, which would be ridiculous. Um, but if, if you did, you would change the way that you show up in relationships. We had to write like these very in-depth papers about our patterns and how we've been impacted by our families and the negative things that we do in our interactions. And they would be graded and we would get responses that said things like, heads up, you're probably going to have problems like this or about the, around this when you get into a relationship. It's really wow. hard, but obviously completely changed the way that I showed up in relationships. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I can only imagine what mine would say <laughs> and what would be like instructed or kind of like, okay, here's a red flag here. And and I don't even have that many issues comparatively right, right. to a lot of people <laughs> out there. Um, that's really cool. And that's really fascinating. And I think that's something that I kind of feel the same way in terms of hosting this podcast and all of the incredible guests I have on and all the things I learn and, and I am able to notice things and see things even like about myself, but also in my friends and in their relationships. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could just like shake them and be like, okay, like you're doing this thing. It's probably not serving you that well, but I don't want to ever like cross that line, you know? Oh, it's so hard because seriously, once you see it, you can't unsee it, but you're having yeah. to pretend that you don't see it so that you're not like a busybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So did you, you're married and you have a kid, correct? Yep. Yep. 
amazing. Love it. Did you and your husband ever go to couples therapy? We did. We have tried it three different times and each time has been semi-hysterical, which it's funny as a couples therapist, we've really struggled to find couples therapists. And um, I recently have started a company to make couples therapy like way more accessible and also normalized. Before we started talking, you were kind of talking about how couples should just do it proactively. But the problem is, is that there aren't a lot of therapists out there who make it clear that they'll do proactive counseling with you. And so my husband and I, we wanted to go before we got married. We wanted to go proactively as soon as we had our kid to try to like figure some things out. And then a few years after that, and when we would go, the therapists would really try to poke the bear. And so it would be like, aren't, are you sure there's not problems? Like, what are you actually here for? And especially with the premarital, we were like, no, there's like not any problems. We're okay. And I remember it was really funny. The therapist said to my husband, well, your intake form says that you have four cups of coffee a day. Do you think we should talk about that? <laughs> oh my God. That's and, really funny. Yeah, it was really funny. So we really respect the couples therapy thing, but because we've tried to do it proactively, we've kind of had a tough time finding a therapist who is willing to be like, great, there's not any significant problems, but you should still talk through things. Here's mm -hmm. what we think that you should talk through and here's how you can do it, which is always kind of what we've been looking for. Yeah. So for somebody who's in that same position, I mean, I know like before I ever really learned that couples therapy was a thing, I always heard like, oh, in some religions or depending on how religious you are, you have to go talk to your rabbi, you have to go talk to your priest and like they have to like give you that stamp of approval of like, yes, you can marry this person, you can marry each other. But what if so like for somebody who maybe just got engaged or they're trying to see like they, they think there's something long term happening here and and they really want to do that pre-work to make sure they're on a good path. What would you suggest as a first step to like finding that type of couples therapist? It's a great question. So like you said, you can certainly find somebody to work in, with you in your clergy. So priest, rabbi, they do things like pre-canna, which is like a very designated form of couples therapy that you have to take before you can get married. But if you want something more than that, or if you're not religious, it can be challenging. And so one thing that I definitely encourage is that when you're searching, you search those proactive terms. So like therapist that helps with premarital counseling or um, therapist who will help me plan a bait. Like you can write the whole sentence out and see whose blog comes up or see who has a website that pops up with that and really kind of read between the lines um, around what it is that you think that they do. And if they seem like they are very problem-based, so they say things like, I help very high conflict couples, I help people come back from the brink of divorce, like that's probably not gonna be your jam. Um, so you're gonna wanna look for people who say things very clearly, like I do premarital counseling, or I love to support young couples who are on their journey towards relationships. Um, you can certainly check out ours, which is the company that I've started. Um, where we're doing everything based on life transitions. And so all of it is proactive, all of it is positive, and all of it is about encouraging a deeper connection and moving, moving towards your goals. Yeah, I love that. Did you start, this is a better life therapy, right? 
No, so a better look therapy is actually my private practice in Philadelphia. Um, And amazing practice as well. But Ours Wellness, uh, the website's withours.com. So O-U-R-S. It is a new couples therapy company that is really trying to revolutionize the way that we think about relationship health. I love that. We are leveling up. We're figuring out our dating lives. We're learning how to take better care of ourselves. We're cooking healthy meals instead of ordering takeout every night. And we're being more cognizant of what goes into our bodies. Now, you know I have you covered with the dating part, and Caraway Home has you covered with the rest. It's time to ditch the chemicals with Caraway Home's non-toxic cookware and bakeware collections so you can make healthier cooking a piece of cake. Caraway Home's non-toxic kitchenwares are all designed for the modern home and feature a chemical-free ceramic coating so food can be prepared with peace of mind that no hard-to-pronounce compounds will leach into your healthy ingredients. I've been using Caraway's saute pan. I got it in gray and it is without a doubt the trendiest and cutest thing in my apartment. And the best part about it is that when I cook, nothing sticks to it. It makes for the best experience and makes cooking so much more enjoyable. How great it is to use and knowing that it's non-toxic and eco-friendly has led me to cook so much more. So I'm actually saving money and eating healthier and I feel great. You know, whether it's for myself, when a friend comes over to tell me every detail of their date from the night before or for a cozy date night in, my Caraway cookware has been stepping up my game and helping me stay healthy in every way. All of their cookware and bakeware products also make amazing wedding gifts or engagement gifts. And I know you guys have those coming up so you can check your gift search off the list. Visit carawayhome.com slash seeing other people to take advantage of a limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for seeing other people's listeners. Visit carawayhome.com slash seeing other people or use code seeing other people at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. So when you and your husband started to go at these different life stages, was he hesitant? Was he super on board? What was it like actually getting him there? Because I... Okay. That's what I had in my head of like, Hey babe, like, let's go sign up for counseling together. Like, but why there's nothing wrong, but exactly. Like, what was that like? Oh my gosh. It was, it was horrible. I'm a couples therapist. And I would say, honey, I'm a couples therapist. Like it's no big deal. We should go. But I would say to him before we get married, I really want to do premarital counseling. And he would be like, is that because something's wrong? are you worried about something? Is there something you need to tell me? I feel like we could just talk about that on our own. And I would really try to reassure him, like, nothing's wrong. I just think it can be so powerful to have a third person guide us through conversations. Um, By the third time, he was kind of like, okay, I get it. It's fine. But he does have a fear when I bring it up of this must mean that we have a problem that's really big that I don't know about. And as I've been researching the reasons that couples don't go to couples therapy over the past couple of years, because that's something I'm really trying to destigmatize, what I've found is it's that fear. Usually at least one partner has the fear of this can't possibly be proactive. This can't possibly be solution oriented. It must be because they're going to pull me in this room and tell me something awful. They're going to tell me they had an affair, that they want to break up with me, that I suck as a human being. And so it's really scary for people, particularly men. Yeah. And and I also, obviously, this is another thing that we like assume, but I I do feel like more women go to therapy than men. And so women are naturally more comfortable talking about their feelings. So I can imagine that that's a big part of it too. 
And socially, you know, if you think about when we're little as women, we're told to talk about things like we're talking to our right. stuffed animals as we're having tea parties and we're talking to our Barbie dolls and all of that. And boys are told to be very process action oriented. So it's about like play a sport, use this right. tool bench, produce something. So the process of therapy is kind of like out of scope for what many men are used to. Totally. That's a really good point about how he grew up. And even thinking about my relationship, like my boyfriend always points out whenever it's me and my girlfriends hanging out and he's like there, he's like, Oh my God, you guys just talk about like your feelings and about like who's getting engaged <laughs> and who like your friendship issues with other people and stuff. But like when I'm hanging out with him and his guy friends, they're just talking about sports. We're like, that's literally it. They do yeah, like exactly. activities and they don't talk. <laughs> yeah. I like don't understand what's happening. So it really is a difference and that definitely makes sense. So what advice would you give to somebody who wants to do like premarital counseling or wants to do any type of like preventative type of counseling? How would you suggest they bring it up with their partner? Take the anxiety out of it as much as you can. So just own that that's probably the elephant in the room before it even needs to be the elephant in the room and say something like, hey, I have been thinking about what would make our relationship go from a nine to a 10, you know, share where things are in terms of it being good. Um, I've been thinking about how close we are and connected we are, but I think there's these areas that we could work on. And I really think premarital counseling could be helpful, or I really think sitting down and talking to somebody before we decide to have a kid could be helpful. Um, and then asking them how they think about that, because a lot of the time when people bring up therapy, the way it's brought up is it's like a, we have to do this. And I don't care about your opinion on that. And I don't think that that's what people mean to do, but there's this sense of, Hey, we need to go to couples therapy. So I'm going to look some people up and when are you going to be free? But if you could slow down a little bit and say, I've been thinking about this. Here's why I think it would be helpful. What do you think about? Like what When you hear me say, I want to go see a therapist for a relationship, what's your initial response to that? And like actually let your partner share because that's where they get to get that anxiety out. So they might say something like, well, I think this is a very common response. I think we could work on it by ourselves first. So then what do you say to that? You could either say, okay, tell me what you think we could try first and game. Or you could say, hey, I think that we've tried that. Here are some examples of how, and this is why I think it would be helpful. Um, the other thing I always suggest is that when you make something seem temporary, people are way more willing to do it, even if it makes them uncomfortable. So if you're saying to them, it's just one session, just make a temporary agreement with me that you'll just go once. If you hate it, we never have to go again. Then people are much more willing to say, okay, fine. If you make it seem very long-term, like I need you to commit to this and we're going to start going weekly. That is a hard thing for people to commit to if they're on the fence. Yeah, that sounds right. And the other thing that brings to mind is like, if you're telling somebody we need to do this, that can create a problem that wasn't there. Like if they're really, really, really afraid and there's nothing else wrong in your relationship, but suddenly you're kind of tell, like making it seem like they don't have a choice and they're being forced into doing this. I feel like that could bring up all of, of these problems that weren't there before or that you didn't know were there. Totally. I love that you brought that up. It, it makes people feel boxed in. Like 
oh my gosh, this is what we need to do. There's no other options. If we don't do it, then what? It almost feels like a threat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anything you can do to make it feel like an open dialogue, like it's an idea, um, it's not scary, can be really, really helpful. Totally. So when you do have couples coming to you, what are the biggest or the most common problems that they like walk into couples therapy with if it's not a premarital counseling type of thing? So most people will say they have communication issues. I would say 99% of the intake forums, it just says we struggle to communicate. And that usually is not actually the issue. There's usually something much deeper that has then caused the communication issues. So one of the biggest issues I've been seeing recently is just couples who are under significant stress um, that never lets up. And then they wonder why they're fighting all the time and they wonder why they're not having sex. And so they'll come in and they'll say, we never talk anymore. We just need help talking. And I usually slow it down and say, but let's figure out why. Like, I actually think in those types of situations, it's not that you need me to help you learn to talk to each other. We need to figure out how are you not working from 6 a.m. until 9 p.m. at night and then putting the kids down. And then at 11 p.m., you're finally eating dinner. And then at midnight, maybe you're talking to each other. So a huge amount of my couples are just these like highly stressed out, overly busy couples, some of which there's no solution to, like they have to work their job, they have to take care of their kids, but some of which is being able to get honest with themselves about what they can eliminate. Like, yes, I know it's amazing to go to the gym for two hours every single night, but like that's not working for your relationship right now. Um, So high stress is a huge one. Another big issue that people come in with are betrayals that were never fixed. So I see people with current betrayals, but I see more often people with very old betrayals. So when we first got together, you hooked up with somebody and I know we weren't like really a thing yet, but that's always wounded me. Or after we had our kid, you were never there for me. And I'll say, well, how old are your children now? And they'll say 15 and 20. It's like, okay, well, that's been sitting here for a really long time. So we kind of have to work through that as well. Yeah. I always think about the the first point you brought up of like the old betrayals, because I've talked to people, we've done a few episodes on cheating and mm. people are always asking me like, can I like get back with an ex or okay, like he cheated, but I forgive him or she like emotionally cheated, whatever it was. And my thing is like, you have to really know yourself and, and know whether or not you can actually forgive that person and move forward from it. Because I feel like so often people just want to save the relationship. So they're like, okay, it's fine. I understand it was a one-time thing or whatever their excuse was. And then they go on, but they never actually get over it. Absolutely. And you just hit the nail on the head. People will often ask, like, can this relationship get better after this betrayal happened? And I always tell them, yes, but only if both people are willing to make it better, which is really hard to hear if you're the person who was betrayed. But obviously, the person who did the violation, they need to atone for it. They need to show remorse. They need to grow within themselves to show that you can trust them again, all of that. But if on the other end of that, you're consistently moving the goalposts, 
and you're not ever letting that person get into your good graces, then the relationship is going to stay dysfunctional. Um, and people will take a really long time to be honest with themselves about whether or not they can truly forgive. You know, you don't have to, if somebody hurts you, you don't have to forgive them, move on with them, any of that. But if you want a relationship with them, you do. And yeah. so if you can't, then you have to be able to take a deep breath and get your ducks in a row and say that the relationship has to end. Yeah, you because otherwise you just end up in limbo and you're nobody's happy. Nobody's happy and you live in power struggles, really yeah. long-term power struggles where then it's about, you know, this other person, they need to make it up to me. And anytime I'm having an uncomfortable feeling, I blame it on them. And then they have to do better. And I stay on top and they stay on the bottom. And then the other person is like, well, I give up. I don't care anymore. And so it's a, it's not a healthy dynamic. Totally. Are there ever any situations where like a couple will walk into your office or into your Zoom room and <laughs> you'll... Like, do you have any kind of not snap judgments, but instincts of like this and them, like this is fixable or this is not? Mm -hmm. And what are those based off of? Yeah. So when I meet with couples, I do an assessment with them where I'm looking for the different areas that would be very important in terms of whether this relationship has a really good chance or whether it's going to take a ton of work. And there's a very low chance of continuing it in the way that maybe they would want. So something that I look for, first of all, is are both people truly committed? I mean, sometimes people skip that step and they'll do couples therapy with a couple without actually asking privately, how committed are you? Like, do you have one foot in and one foot out or both feet in? People say both feet are in. We're in a horrible place. We hate each other right now, but I'm 100% in. That's really good news because then I can ask them both to be vulnerable enough to try to make change. Now, if one person says, both feet are in, and the other person says, I don't know, I'm kind of straddling this. There's like one part of me in and one part of me out, it's harder. And if that person says both feet are out, it's not possible. And so we have to have a really hard conversation about like, let's not drag this on. Be honest, you're out. And what do we do next? Another thing that is a really strong indicator is willingness to change. So when I'm watching a couple, I'm really trying to pay attention to how willing are both participants to look at themselves, to take feedback, and to work on addressing things in a different way. When I see one or both partners being very rigid and very averse to feedback, I do have concerns about whether or not they'll be able to move forward. Those are the two things I look at first. And if there's willingness and if there's commitment, there is hope. If there is not commitment on one or both parts and there is not willingness or on one or both parts, it's a little harder to hold the hope because then it actually just starts to feel like I'm trying to force one person to do something that they actually don't want to do. Yeah. And it's, it's, I feel like it's got to be a tough situation on your end because you're like, you don't, you're not picking sides. Totally. Yeah. I, have I feel to like that honest, is so hard. <laughs> right. 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 It's so hard. And it's, it's hard and heartbreaking, right? Because usually there is one person who is both willing and committed. It's very rare that both people are not committed. It happens sometimes. Um, 
And it's heartbreaking to have to be the one to reflect back. Look, I've talked to you both. This is really hard to hear, but your partner is saying to you very clearly that they're not committed. They don't want to change. And so there's not a lot I can do here. And that's just so sad for the person who was hopeful. Yeah, I... It's like, how do you tell somebody that like, this isn't going to get better? Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Have you noticed any patterns in like, if each individual has previously been to therapy or if like only one person has previously been to therapy, like has that, have you seen that impact the relationships or their ability to work through things? If you have dating anxiety, I have a very important message for you. So listen up. You know me, you've heard me talk about my dating anxiety on seeing other people. And at some point I actually overcame it. I stopped being obsessive about checking my phone every five seconds to see if my date had texted me yet. I stopped overthinking and self-sabotaging and really creating stories in my head about what happened on the date when in reality the date was great and I was going to hear from them again. And the clear change happened when I started taking a CBD happy gummy before my date and a CBD calm gummy after my date. And these are all from mindset wellness, CBD mindset wellness literally changed my dating life. I totally think that they are the reason that I am in a relationship now that is healthy and I'm happy. And it really helped me calm myself down and get out of my head and be present on the date, be happy, be my best self on the date. And then after the date, not overthink, not go crazy and not drive myself insane thinking about all of these things that were out of my control that I was probably making up and that really had nothing to do with anything. So if you have dating anxiety and you haven't tried taking mindset on a CBD's gummies before and after your date, trust me, they are a complete game changer. You have to try them. I have a 20% off code for you. If you go to mindsetwellness.com, use code seeing other people at checkout, that's 20% off and free shipping and get rid of your dating anxiety. So you have no excuse. You have to go do it. And I can't wait to hear how much it helps. Yes, definitely. I see differences between people when one has been to therapy and the other hasn't. I think that one of the biggest is that the person who's been to therapy has a little more insight and vocabulary around who they are and what their experience is so they can express that. Whereas the person who hasn't been, we're doing some of that work in the session, which is actually completely fine. Um, but it's just, it just shows up a little bit differently. An interesting way I've, sh- I've seen it show up negatively is that sometimes the partner will use it as a one-up. So they'll say things like, this is a phrase that you don't know yet because you haven't gone to therapy, but, um, what you're doing right now is called gaslighting <laughs> or this is, um, you know, I have insight about the way my family has mm. impacted me. I think that if you had more insight, then maybe you would be different. So it sometimes becomes this strange, like veiled criticism that gets utilized, but from a one-up position of, look at me, I'm so enlightened about myself. Um, And so I, of course, love it when people go to individual therapy, but I often nip that in the bud very quickly. And I say things like, This is your first time in couples counseling too. There are things in individual therapy you might know about yourself, but there are also going to be things that come up because somebody else is reflecting back who you are that are going Mm -hmm. to be new insights. And so I want to, I want to really make sure that we have like an openness for you both to learn new things about yourself and for you both to recognize your role here. Um, 
it's also interesting because even people who haven't been to therapy because of all the Instagram therapy stuff, people are using a lot of words in sessions inaccurately. So they're very quickly like accusing their partner of being a gaslighter or calling them narcissist or, you know, talking about boundaries and saying, that's not respecting my boundary. But because they've only read about it on Instagram, they're not getting the full context of how that looks in a relationship. And that can be really challenging too, because then I have to stop them and say, you're kind of right about it, but like, let me talk a little bit more about what gaslighting actually is, or like, let's talk about whether or not this really is that. So it's it's just been interesting to see that therapy knowledge kind of showing up in positive ways, but also in detrimental ways. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I could definitely see people saying like, oh, well, I know this about myself and you haven't taken the time to learn that. So totally. you're like, I'm right or something like that. That's yeah, that's interesting. Um, so on the flip side of of all my questions about like, how do you know if a relationship is doomed from the start? Um, are there ever any early signs that you see that a relationship will be successful? Yeah. So the flip side of both of the things I said. So when the couple comes in and they say, we're both committed to this, we know it's really hard work, but our both of our feet are in the door. We're not looking anywhere else. Um, when people have willingness... So not, they don't have to be perfect, but they're, they're open to getting feedback. They're open to trying something new. Um, another thing that is a really interesting indicator that the relationship has hope is the way in which they describe their history together. So couples who are in what's called negative sentiment override, they are in a place where there have been so many issues, so many painful experiences for a while that they no longer see their partner in a positive light. And so even when their partner does something good, it gets negated with the bad. So it might be something like, yeah, they were really helpful with the kids today, but they were never like that when the kids were little. And when I am meeting with couples for the first time, I'll say, well, hey, can you tell me your entire history of your relationship? And couples who are in a good place um, for the future, even if they're in high conflict, they can look new, with neutrality at the past and also have positive memories. So they might say something like, wow, when we first met, it was amazing. We were having sex all the time. We were best friends. Um, they'll laugh while they're describing it. And, you know, they'll kind of bounce off each other in the room. Like, I loved what you were wearing. You did? I didn't know that. And it's still kind of this cute playfulness. Um, and then if they talk about a difficult moment, like, wow, the pregnancy loss was really hard. I remember that. I remember being really angry with you about what happened, but we got through that. So they're describing their hard events, but they're still looking at them through a light of, we got through it. We've had good memories. Couples who are in a hard position, they could have the same exact story, but the story is very negative. So it's, oh, I didn't even know you remembered I was wearing that dress. <laughs> That's a surprise because you never recognize anything I do. Or you were just a complete jerk when we went through that hard thing. And I've never forgiven you for that. And so it's not an indicator that it's hopeless, but it's an indicator that it's gotten pretty dire and that there's going to need to be significant changes to improve it. Yeah, I think that 
there are a lot of things that I'm really interested in, in kind of asking about, but I think the main question I have is obviously like a lot of these issues come down to, like you said, like underlying things that lead to communication problems, but it seems like there's a lot in terms of how people are communicating to each other and how people are talking to each other and putting their thoughts out there in maybe not the best way. So yes. I'm curious what, tips you have or general advice for communicating better with your partner or starting a hard conversation with your partner and what yeah. to expect. So when people come in and they say they have communication issues, they're usually right. that And they do need help with these like concrete examples so that then we can get to the place to recover all of the actual stuff that's going on under the underneath. Um, so some really important things to remember when you're bringing up a tough conversation, you want to avoid criticizing and you want to be really aware of whether you come off as a threatening presence. And so utilizing something called gentle startup is incredibly important. We know that the first three minutes of a conversation directs where it's going to go. If you start off in a harsh way, your conversation is going to be harsh unless the other person is like super Zen and somehow able to bring it back. Um, if you started off gently, the conversation is more likely going to go in a gentle direction and a solution focused direction. So what you can do in order to start a conversation that way is you can say to the person what you've noticed and talk about what you've observed, not what you think about how bad they are as a person, but hey, I've noticed that um, our kitchen's always a mess. I've noticed that the kids have been going to bed later and later. I've noticed that we used to take dates every Friday. We haven't been on a date in like two months. So talking about what you've observed as the problem. Um, an example of what not to say is, I've noticed that you always leave the dishes in the sink, or I noticed that you don't care about me anymore. Those are things <laughs> that are going to get a defensive response. And then you wanna talk about how you feel. So you wanna say an actual feeling with that. Sometimes people say a thought. So they'll say, I feel like, and then they'll use that to veil a criticism. I feel like you never think about me anymore. I feel like you don't care what our house looks like. Instead, what you need to do is say, I feel and include a feeling right after. Once you use the word like, you already know a, feel, a thought is coming. So I feel really sad about that. I feel angry, I feel resentful, whatever. And then you wanna talk about your positive needs. Positive needs is when you express what you actually want. What people tend to do though, is they express what they don't want. So somebody might say, I really need for the kitchen to not look like such a disaster anymore. That's a negative need. So instead saying, I need us to find a way to keep the kitchen straight, or I need a housekeeper or I need the kids to be doing more chores. Whatever it is that you need, you're saying it so that the other person knows how to be successful with you. So that's one really important thing to remember is I noticed, I feel, I need when you're trying to bring up something difficult. The other thing that's important is remembering that the way that you're activated impacts the way the other person is activated. And what I mean by that is that if you are feeling flooded in your body, if you're feeling irritable, if your voice is loud, if you're feeling tense, human beings actually react to each other's bodies just as much as they react to each other's words. So your partner will start to feel that and they're going to get tense too. So learning how to self-soothe before you talk about important topics, really you know, releasing your muscles, slowing your heart rate, lowering your voice 
all of those things can help you to have a successful conversation. Yeah, I think that's really, really smart. The self-soothing, not even in just in romantic relationships, but in anything. If there's a conversation with your boss that you need to have or somebody, a coworker said something that like really set you off and you want to react or even with friends. Like I know I've, especially like through the pandemic with everybody having very different ideas of like what's okay and what's safe for them COVID wise. Like I've had much harder conversations with my friends than I have in the past. And there are a lot of times where you want to like quickly react and and say something. And it, I feel like nine out of 10 times, if you take a step back, like put your phone down for an hour, you would never say that thing that you would have said. Oh my gosh. All the time. I personally know that about myself. Like I've really had to put a rule in place for myself is if I'm about to voice irritation or frustration, like I don't do it in that moment. I really recognize I can wait until the next day or I can wait until that night. Um, Because if I'm doing it from an activated space, it's never truly accurate in terms of what I actually think or feel. Yeah, that makes that I'm totally on the same page and that makes a lot of sense. So I hope everybody can go into their next hard conversation or, or fight and not make rash responses and and decisions. Um, I have so many more questions for you, but there's also somebody drilling into my wall right now. (laughs) Guys, I'll talk more about this situation in the intro. This is very much like my luck and what and would you're happen such a me. pro because you're just <laughs> sticking with it anyway <laughs> you have no idea what's going on up here in my brain right now I um, feel like I do because I have a toddler and I've been fair. on so many podcasts where my toddler is like screaming in the hallway and I'm just like okay just focus just focus <laughs> Yep. Oh, I was prepared for for my only potential problem to be my dog wanting attention. So I literally have a T-R-E-A-T in my pocket that he has not yet found. But that was not (laughs) what happened. Um, But okay, before I let you go, just one last question for you. A lot of the Seeing Other People community is single people who are trying to get into relationships and they're very intentional. They really want to get into healthy relationships. So what are some general tips you can give for starting off on a path to success, like starting off getting yourself into a very healthy situation? So when you first start dating someone, one of the biggest issues is that our bodies are wired to connect with people beyond rationality. So what happens is that we have all of these love hormones, it's the honeymoon phase, and we become hyper-focused on what's good about the other person and we minimize the things we don't like. And we've all had that experience where like our friends will be like, doesn't it bother you that they're always late? And you're like, no, that's just who they are. I love that they're a free spirit. And then, you know, a year in, you're like, oh my God, they're always late. What's wrong with them? So something that I think is super important while you're single and you're thinking about being in a relationship is how do you recognize when you need to set a limit? And can you get comfortable doing that very early on in the dating sphere of things? And by setting a limit, I don't mean that you have aggressive all or nothing limits. There is room for people to be human. But what I mean is you have to work on being confident enough in yourself to say something on a first date like, hey, you know, I actually don't really love eating fish. So maybe a sushi date isn't the best option. I would be open to anything else. Or 
it's 20 minutes past our, our date start time and you're still not here. Hey, I'm going to go home. Yes, they might then say, I'm really sorry. I'm embarrassed. Could we do a rain check and try again Friday? I promise I'll be on time. And, and you can still do that. But you have to be prepared to say what it is that you're okay with, what you like, what you don't like. And that preparation has to happen before you meet the person, because otherwise you just get swept up and then you're wasting a lot of time with people that are not ultimately a good match. Yeah. And I think that's something where even if you're not yet in a relationship, if you're still dating, like use that as an opportunity to learn what you do want and what you don't want and what excites you about somebody, what makes you feel safe with them. Because those are the things that then when you find it, they're going to feel like, okay, yes, like this is what I've been looking for. This is what I want. And this is what I need. But also if you find somebody who has a lot, who does a lot of the things that you want, but maybe not some other ones, you now know what it is that you need from them in order to feel safe and secure. And like you're in a healthy situation. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, Liz, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Where can everybody find you? Where can everybody get your book if they are interested? All that. Yeah. So easiest place to find me is on Instagram at Liz listens, but it's the same handle across all social media. So wherever you like to take in all your social media stuff, I'm there. You can also find me at elizabethearnshaw.com, which is just my name. Um, and my book, I want this to work is for sale everywhere. Books are sold. Amazing. Thank you so much. And to everyone who is listening, definitely make sure to follow Liz. She has one of my favorite Instagram accounts ever. Like your content is so, first of all, it's gorgeous. Second of all, it's always like genuinely helpful. And just, it's, it's very much like, I don't know. I feel like everybody follows a million different Instagram accounts that like maybe they're therapists, maybe they give advice, whatever it is. They talk about mental health stuff, but I feel like your posts, I always like stop and actually look at and actually read and read oh, the full you. gallery, the caption, whatever it is, and like really take it in. And so amazing job on that. But all that to say, everybody follow Liz Listens. <laughs> thank you so much for having me here. Yay. All right. I will talk to you soon. And for everyone who tuned in, thank you for listening. Don't forget to send this episode to a friend who would benefit from hearing it.